This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, and we're watching Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 7, Maria and the Beast. My family may be at the center of this chess game of yours, but we are not pawns. We are kings and queens, and the blood of the Aztecs runs through us. The soldiers of the revolution walk beside us. And as long as I draw breath from my lungs, I will claw through mud. I will climb hills and I will fight you to the end of days. In the name of my children, whom God knit together in my womb, I banish you from this place! back fellow penny faithful this is tv podcast industries we're talking about penny dreadful city of angels episode seven maria and the beast does anybody want to sing beauty and the beast uh with that one <laughs> well i was thinking the beast is 666 right. actually from hannibal that's cooler and they do have the acd song uh that <laughs> they think uh, the beast is 666 i think as well and to be honest um, the beast is frank yeah who would kill a cute innocent fluffy hamster yes, yeah absolutely i just have maria and the beast in my head uh i left that i, I, but it I has sang to be it in the time. german accent <laughs> yeah maria and the beast and the boost. Yeah. excellent let's cut chris off there and say i'm derek <laughs> one of your hosts hello there fellow dreadfuls and fellow penny faithful i am one of your other hosts john and I've already been mentioned as being Chris, but I like to be cut off, so it's great. Excellent. Just Excellent. only when I do my terrible German accent. <laughs> yeah, we, we will try and cut you off every time you do that, Chris, I promise. Okay, good to know. Fellow <laughs> uh, <laughs> Penny Faithful, we are a little bit uh, tired today from uh, a very long podcast that we did yesterday. Um, we have released our Patreon-exclusive podcast on Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which we have been promising for a few weeks but we did get around to recording it yesterday. Great discussion. Really enjoyed that, uh, guys. It was really fun to talk about some Marvel stuff because we've been going very serious with things like uh, Watchmen and uh, even The Witcher, which was quite in-depth when we talked about that and then going into Penny Dreadful, uh, City of Angels, all quite, and all three seasons of Penny Dreadful, all quite deep stuff that we've been doing. So getting back to a good comic book action movie was great fun to talk about. I forgot how much I loved it. I yeah. really did. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, good to be back in the mcu even though we're not mm-hmm. um i actually am uh, i'm disappointed that we aren't going back as soon as we are with black widow i'm mm-hmm. actually now more excited to to go back to the cinema in august september maybe for, maybe uh, july oh i think black widow was pushed back to november they moved it out they moved all the marvel movies out um to um, the next dates uh, that were on the show. Uh, so, okay. so it's November. I thought those. you just meant going back to the cinema. Yes, hopefully going back to the cinema in, in July. That would be very cool. Um, but yeah, just a quick return to the MCU for our fellow uh, 
watchers over on Patreon, you can you can get access to that podcast if you go over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries and contribute any amount and hear us talk about some comic booky stuff. Yeah, it um, was good to get yeah, it was good to get back into the old uh yeah. comics and the and the Marvel universe. Um and the the movie really holds up, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, uh, any amount you can give in at any time is always fantastic. It helps keep the mics on, the lights on, and it's just a lovely way for us to give back to you as well. So uh, jump on, have a listen, and of course, if you can't do that, just share our podcast. Because mm-hmm. sharing a podcast is... Sharing the love. But remember, Chris, as well, we have an army of hamsters on their wheels. That's yeah. what keeps the lights on here. Yeah. So Frank's not going anywhere near them. Along with our cat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it does cost a lot to feed them, uh, that army of hamsters running our podcast. So. With their cute little cheeks all pouched out with nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you can support us uh, however you want to, um, whether that's in seeds and nuts, that's fine as well. <laughs> um, salted, preferably, but mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh any way you want to, you can leave a review and, and rate us, as Chris says. Uh, and speaking of reviews, uh, we have an iTunes review uh, for TV Podcast Industries. Uh, really nice to, to get it through from mm-hmm. Gleaming Circuit over there on the US Apple Podcasts. Um, Gleaming Circuit says, great show covering great shows, um, which is lovely to hear mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, we certainly do select our shows. Yeah. So I'm glad someone is in tune and in sync with uh, our, our choices. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of stealing that as our actual logline for, uh, for TV podcast <laughs> industry. That's, yeah. that's uh, pretty good. That is a great one, actually. Yeah, um, yeah his five-star uh, review says, this is a fantastic listen. You get your breakdown of the episode with thoughtful insights, a little humor when appropriate, serious group up discussion where it fits with a fan's enthusiasm if you live in the u.s it's great to get the perspective from this great team in ireland they're critical without being mean and stay focused on the content of the shows they cover refreshing and highly recommended um that's really nice gleaming circuit thanks so much i mean uh, it's just nice to get the feedback uh, to know that you know we, we we hit the marks and um what we're doing is is being taken up, I suppose, in the way it's intended, which I think this really does reflect that. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much, Gleaming Circuit. Yeah, really nice to hear from you, Gleaming Circuit. Thank you so much for that. Uh, always good to get a review of, of that quality as well, of that calibre over on over iTunes. So uh, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. Five stars puts uh, five stars on my shoulders and my heart. You're oh, a five-star general. Yes, <laughs> yes. That That is, oh, my God. Yes. That makes no sense in my head where I was about to go, but does not matter. <laughs> I will let our listeners, any of our longtime listeners will know what I was about to go for. So, uh, yeah. Chris, I've known you 20 years. I have no idea where you were going, or 50 years. <laughs> but then you don't know me well enough. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Let's get into our discussion about Petty Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 7, Maria and the Beast. The episode was directed by Sherry Folkson, a UK director, worked on many shows over the years in the UK, worked on uh, Call the Midwife, which is from the same production company, weirdly, as uh, as Penny Dreadful, uh, and also worked on Doctor Who. More recently, um, Sherry worked on 12 Monkeys TV series and American Horror Story Season 8. We've kind of mentioned a few 
few times that Penny Dreadful's City of Angels does have a little bit of a American horror story kind of vibe to it at times, where it feels like we're in this new world, which is just slightly twisted with the supernatural. So uh, I guess Sherry's brought on some of that knowledge from uh, from uh, American horror story, particularly in some scenes in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been a big AHS fan. Um, really? I, my, my wife is and she loves it. And I think she even fell off, fell off after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I love her. Yeah. I love her. It's just, it never fully clicked with me. 12 Monkeys was a great premise and a great beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember finding it hard. To, it, it didn't fully stick the end of its landing. I right. think it's because it got cancelled ahead before its time. Mm. Um, I think they, they had greater plans on where they were going to go. I think what I absolutely love about American Horror Story specifically is that idea that it is an anthology show. So if a season isn't hitting with you after a couple of episodes, you get about three or four episodes per season. If it's not hitting with you, leave it and move on to the next season. It doesn't really matter whether you've yeah. watched them all. I think we've watched about five of the overall show five full seasons but i don't think we watched them we watched them back to back i don't think we watched season one through five i think we've picked which ones we like yeah no it it is great and unfortunately it is eclipsed by uh, another one of uh the creator's uh, great horror series which is scream queens um season one season one exactly season one yeah and then american horror overtakes it yeah, overtake season two, yeah. definitely. <laughs> definitely. But American um, horror is really good and scary as hell. Definitely, yeah. There's some great, great stuff in there for horror fans. Um, the episode was written by Colin S. Little. Uh, done a few short films, but this is his first major writing credit. Uh, he's on the writing team uh, for this show. I reached out, out to him over on Facebook and asked him about his experience working with John Logan. As we know, John Logan wrote most of the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful. Uh, and I just wanted to know what it's like working in the writer's room with him because so rarely someone else comes out with a writing credit for a full episode uh, and having Colin Little get this as as one of his first credits just thought it would be interesting uh, he responded to me saying he's incredible extremely generous and talented creates an amazing working atmosphere for everyone around him uh, from the writer's room all the way through to production which is just a lovely way to, to talk about John Logan I suppose because he does seem so heavily involved in the production of the show so great to hear it from someone that worked on the show with him yeah that's really good as well because when you know you have this singular vision, um, and you you've got to bring people on board uh, to to that vision, mm-hmm. and so like that just really sounds um, just consistent with how he he would be. And yeah. from what we saw from some of the Blu-ray extras uh, for season one to three of Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. as well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd be so interested, and Colin, I hope you listen to this, and you might feel the 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 chance to write into us at feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com. I'd love to know where the idea of the degenerate came from, that story that Mitchner, and we'll get into it later. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know how that came about, and the, like, was any of it was it written word for word? Was any of it impromptu, um, based on Nathan Lane? I'm just so curious because it's such a powerful scene. Mm-hmm. So I'd be very curious, Colin. Um, but Excellent. other than that, yeah, great work. Yeah, did a really good job. Um, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the synopsis for this episode? Sure. Molly visits Tiago at his apartment as he wrestles with guilt over Diego's confession. Dottie and Lewis confront Brian Koenig for lying about his dual allegiances. Elsa and Frank move in with the crafts, igniting fear in Tom and Maria. And, of course, Friar Took. (laughs) 
Alex Malone and Councilman Townsend deliberate about how to defeat Councilwoman Beck. Josefina's newfound faith puts her at odds with her family, and in particular, uh, Mateo. Lewis enlists a reluctant Tiago to join his covert operations against the Nazis, and Maria summons Santa Muerta, but an uninvited guest arrives at the same time. Yes, the synopsis from, uh, from Showtime there for the episode. Lots of stuff in there, kind of hidden, and didn't want to reveal exactly what was going on within the episode, as we, uh, as we normally see with the synopses for, for the show. But uh, yeah, lots going on in this episode. I think it's a really good um, setting episode for the final uh, final run out. There's only three more episodes to go after this week's episode, so I think they've set up all of our players in their in their places uh, in this episode. Bar one. <laughs> Bar one. Yes. Bar one. The one that we still can we still can't figure out, but we'll get to. Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like that, this really is setting the 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 final chess pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, using the chess analogy that's given um, by Maria a few times. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, this sets. All the players on the board, it's just craft. I still can't figure this one out. But it's, <laughs> and poor fire talk, but let's get into it. Absolutely, oh. absolutely. Uh, I'm going to kick this week's off with uh, my big moments from the episode. It's more of a theme uh, for the show as we get into these final um, final episodes of the show. Uh, one of the things that's really standing out to me now is how Magda is manipulating everybody. And I was wondering whether this has some... Uh, comparison even to how Santa Morris's powers protect people from the evils of the world. I'm wondering whether uh, Magda's manipulations are kind of the reverse of that. She's the one that causes problems in the world and Santa Maria is the one that can take them away if you pray to her kind of thing. Considering, you know, they're supposed to be sisters. They were supposed to be very joined together in the past as we hear at the end of the episode. Um, so looking at all of the versions of Magda and all the, all the people that she's manipulating throughout the show, uh, the way I'm seeing it so far as we have with, uh, with Rio, and Matteo, uh, that she seems to be manipulating Matteo with pride, pride in himself and pride, pride in his race and pride in uh, his belief that they shouldn't be downtrodden in uh, in the city of L.A. Uh, it seems to be working with his pride on that. Uh, with Townsend in, in her her version as uh, as Alex, she seems to be working on Townsend with the promise of power that he will be the one to lead the country. She even says at one point in this in this episode uh, that she's manipulating using uh, the idea that he will get greater and greater power if she if he just listens to what her direction says. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Absolutely, to the utter shock of Councilwoman Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was just really uh, nicely done. Yeah, um, I'm liking Councilwoman Beck a lot. Um, I think I would be a new dealer in uh, in this time period. Yeah, be on her side, definitely. There's a there. It's not very well veiled that this is talking about a, <laughs> a certain leader uh, that's sitting in the White House at the moment. Um, I think we have talked about it many times. That is John Logan's intention with the entire show, that it's reflecting or downright calling out what's been happening over the last few years, particularly in American politics. So this tor- storyline of this atrocious, horrible man that is Townsend uh, basically bulldozing everybody around him to get his way to mayor seat to uh, senator and then all the way up to the white house with the help of alex does seem to be a reflection of uh, another famous politician beginning with the yeah. same letter yeah yeah no uh, it, it 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 the writing's on the wall and it's smack bang in your face yeah um yeah i'll let you continue on because there's mm-hmm. a few more yeah absolutely um i feel that with uh, elsa the, the persona of elsa that we have 
uh, we see a lot of in this episode. I feel she's using lust um, to manipulate Dr. Kraft. Um, Chris, you were wondering how Dr. Kraft fits into the future uh, of her plan. Yeah. I think we don't know that just yet, but we get some indications here where she's kind of saying to him about basically getting rid of Maria uh, because she's manipulating the kids and teaching the kids about another culture that isn't German and isn't American. So why is she there? Um, so it feels like she's saying to him, in the future, you will be a great leader of the Nazi race effectively. And this may be something that plays out in season one. It may also be something that plays out if there is a season two or a season three where we see the continual manipulation of Dr. Kraft into a leader of the Nazis effectively uh, just happened to be based in, in the US. So that's that's where I'm kind of seeing just from that conversation that they have. Yeah. Maybe that's what she's doing. It's interesting because she, she says um, you will be a strong, important man mm-hmm. and the world will watch, which is really kind of fairly impressive yeah. for effectively a general practitioner, uh-huh. a doctor. Um, yep. So th- there's something there. And again, I suppose what's in the shadows still with Dr. Kraft is what happened to him um, or to his family in Essen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and obviously, as well, we've only just touched slightly on the German-American bond that he is involved with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether it's something to do with leading that as a political party, you, you just don't know. But I thought it was interesting that it, it came at the same time where you have her goss with Brian uh, Koenig, mm-hmm. uh, with Kurt watching sort of, uh, on, I suppose, with his hand right on his, uh, on his Luger, mm-hmm. his silence Luger, ready to take out poor Brian if the need arises. That you have Goss talking about, um, these plans for when Hitler arrives, his new eagle's nest, he calls it, mm-hmm. you know, in amongst the new world where the Fuhrer can contemplate in um, his new eagle's nest in the new world surrounded by trees. So uh, yeah. you, you're just kind of wondering, okay, yeah, th- this feels like it potentially will play out over longer period mm-hmm. than maybe just season one, if there is to be a season two. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it, I, I thought that was interesting that you have Goss saying this is the plans we're making for effectively Germany coming into um, North America yeah. um, occupying it I suppose uh, you know very much in, in the kind of feel of uh, the man in the high castle mm-hmm. and, and then you have this idea that maybe Elsa is prepping this man to be this important figure um that the world will watch yep. so and and potentially leading that onslaught in LA when uh, when the fuhrer arrives i suppose in the future to set up his uh, his part of the nazi regime in LA yeah i mean yeah the or oh, the only other thing i can think of is he is a doctor mm-hmm. and the germans were hugely uh, oh, the, the nazis i should say were hugely um obsessed with race and genetics yeah. and this idea that maybe it's around something along those lines um, in terms of maintaining racial purity and hence why then she's trying to poison him a little towards someone who actually he seems to have a lot of respect for because of how long she's been in uh, his employ and her relationship with Tom and Trevor that she's trying to poison him against Maria mm-hmm. um, with, with that whole spiel in, in the bedroom. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. These are just theories, yeah, really, in that sense, because I do. I th- It seems like 
um, this is almost a long gestation kind of period for what yeah. she needs from from Dr. Craft. But it might move massively fast as well. As I say, she seems to be using this lust of craft to manipulate him. She's, what, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, she's already gotten the wife at the door. She's moved in. She's got her son moved in. Uh, she's rearranged all the bedrooms in the house, got Maria moved down by the garage, and is already talking about getting Maria potentially out of his employ and off the property. And it's probably less than a couple of weeks like that they, since they met first, uh, going yeah. by the timeline of the show. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this could all happen really fast. You know, this she might be just in absolutely the right place for Magda and this manipulation to just put him over the edge really quickly into, into this future uh, plan that she has for him. Um, but in this episode, we're really seeing, I think we mentioned a, a little bit about Frank, this uh, version of Magda that... Uh, she reabsorbed uh, early in the first time we saw him reabsorbed back into the body. What we're seeing in this episode now is that he's got, he's a full persona of Magda now. Um, yeah. Alive, living Definitely. at all times, having conversations with Tommy in one room while she's having conversations with, uh, with Dr. Kraft in another room. So he's completely independent uh, as a Magda now, I think we can say, right? Uh, yeah. If we were putting up a poster of, uh, of, who Natalie Dora plays in the show, it would be the four of them and maybe Frank as well. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, so that's that's the way I'm seeing it. But with Frank, it seems like his manipulation is through fear um, with Tommy. You know, you some people could question why he's doing it. Um, but if he keeps Tommy quiet, then it keeps the one that's questioning Dr. Kraft about things that Elsa might be doing. He's, he's going to keep Tommy quiet and out of the way while uh, Elsa does the manipulations on Dr. Kraft. So I think that's why he's using fear to manipulate yep. Tommy. I thought it was interesting. I don't know whether it says anything about the actor that plays his older brother, plays Tommy's older brother. Um, Trevor. Or Trevor, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know why, but it felt weird that the two of them were sitting at the table. Dr. Kraft breaks the news to them. And Maria comes in and helps out. And the only one of the two kids that talks is Tommy. Tommy's questioning everything. Tommy looks scared. Tommy doesn't want his mommy to go away kind of thing. And Trevor's sitting there waiting to get back to his breakfast, it seems like. He gets no lines to uh, to yeah. say to his dad about his mom leaving. Like, it's just, is he just slightly older and he just accepts it? Or um, he'd like to have a little bit of insight to that. But it seems like they're looking at Tommy as the one that's going to question and the one that's going to stand up for uh, his family and maybe... If Frank can rule him with fear and take him out of the equation, maybe that's the way that he's doing it. I know you're going to talk about a bit more about that relationship, John, but there's just one last uh, manipulation of Magda in this episode that really stands out, which is Magda meeting Maria, which is a big scene at the end of the episode. Um, but she uses family to manipulate uh, yep. Maria. Maria goes to ask the question of Santa Morta, why is my family being attacked? And it seems like Magda's using the idea of family back on her, saying, I can save them if you just give up your belief in Santa Muerta and worship me if you come and join my side effectively. Um, so this is part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this in here was just wondering whether it does compare to Santa Muerta's powers. You pray to Santa Muerta, you can get uh, help with prosperity, you can get help with clearing negative influences, you can get help with legal matters, get help with love, and you can get help with uh, protection from dark magic. Those are the main powers that she has when you pray to her. And what we see on the other side here is Magda is manipulating everybody using similar types of powers. Similar yeah. enough, I'm thinking. Because yeah. I did name them myself, remember, from from my notes. So um, there might be just other names that match a bit closer to, uh, it, to it. It's Magda. like she preys on the, you know, th this idea of the, the seven deadly sins, mm -hmm. you know, this this idea of pride and and, and greed and, and power, you know, the uh, that that could be Townsend, you know, it's his greed for, for, uh, yeah. And, um, the, there's all, <laughs> and, 
um, all this type of thing. So it's definitely that kind of um, reflection back uh, from what Santa Morsa does to um, uh, the manipulations that Magda's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this thing with Magda and Maria um, and with Santa Mercer, like Santa Mercer is still a bit of a mystery to me. Um, like it does, she feels w- very passive. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I was expecting some kind of interjection. And maybe if they weren't interrupted by Magda, she would have done. Um, but th- there was that nice moment between the two sisters anyway, um, where do you remember, um, when you effectively forsake me as, as your sister? Um, and she goes, I- I've lived with my decision. And she goes, no, but do you remember? And yeah. you just get the tear and that kind of drives her away. So, um, I, I kind of, just because it's an area of, I suppose, um, the, the supernatural mm-hmm. spiritual world that I don't know a lot about, it would be really interesting to get some kind of, uh, explanation as to what that may be. I know Magda's not necessarily a real life, not, yeah. um, but or, or just maybe where he's drawing inspiration from, mm-hmm. even if it is like a made-up history of that supernatural um, relationship between these two sisters, um, I think would be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I was questioning that too. Is the moment they're discussing the cornfield? Yes, it feels like it, yeah. It, it feels like that to me. It's okay, the moment yeah. you've forsaken me for mm-hmm. the humans. So when basically Santa Muerte protected Tiago, and, well, when she started take protected Tiago and didn't let Tiago burn mm. for in the flames that Magda set, because there yeah. was that initial discussion, and I, I went back. We don't fully know what the fight's about, Um like, in terms of the, what came before, but this seems, this is the... The, the fulcrum of where it looks like their relationships left. Yeah. In that they were, she was like, there is this prophecy. I will do this prophecy. You will stand aside. Mm-hmm. And Santa Muerte was like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially that's it. And I, and, and I think the response from Magda when she does, um, see the tear on Santa Muerte's face is it's all worth it. I've now gotten you to cry and I've now possibly even a river of tears is, is the way she's kind of saying yeah. it. So, or an ocean of tears. She's saying to her, I've made, I've, you know, I've cut a god. I've, I've got somebody uh, that is supposed to be very powerful and they're crying because they can't do anything in, in the way of what Magda's saying. So, uh, so while Santa Muerte is a passive, uh, character in a way, um, I don't think we're going to see her take out swords and go into actual battle versus Magda in this show. <laughs> no, um, no, know, I don't think so. Don't think it's going to be like that. Um, but I do, I do think that would be consistent with the caring character of Santa Muerte to her followers. She's someone that you pray to and she, uh, she helps you out in situations. Whereas Magda is someone that uh, nobody really wants around because she just manipulates them using all of these, uh, all of these elements. So, uh, she, so yeah. she does, but I, I did like the whole point that Magda kind of mentioned to, to Santa Muerte is that, you know, she says to Maria, you embrace Santa Morsa, the icy, you know, who is basically the icy uh, grasp of death. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm someone that will listen to your every need and provide it, and you forsake mm-hmm. me. Now, obviously, it's a slight. It's a slight manipulation uh, of what she actually does, which is she she allows humans to do whatever they want to do. And her belief in humans is they all want to do bad things. So yeah, no. But, uh, so, but what but, I mean so is, the word is a protector that people pay to pray to to for her protection. And Magda 
delivers to humans what the worst possible thing they can do. No, exactly. I'm not, but what I'm saying is it's kind of actually the choice between these two ladies doesn't seem that great, Mm. quite frankly. Um, I I mean, I know Santa Morita seems to have obviously is not just going around, um, collecting her her souls if you can pray to her for um you know prosperity or justice or purity of heart and so on but certainly um you know in the material world mm-hmm. um certainly um that of i suppose a blossoming consumer culture of 1930s america post the depression mm-hmm. sort of awakening from that you know she she's certainly pitching her message uh, quite nicely, uh, I suppose, to people, whether it's to to bring themselves out of the slums, whether it is to re-engage with that as a middle class or upper class uh, person in society. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought this, I just have to say the set there, though, is great. It's so beautiful, even though it is like scary skeletons <laughs> with teeth. But I mean, it is yeah. kind of when... You have uh, Maria lighting the candles, and it she's lit in a few, and then it it goes it cuts to I think Tiago and Lewis, and it comes back to her, and it's all lit up, and um, it's very very um very very beautiful yeah. in, in terms of the set design, and of course what a kind of amphitheater to have this battle between Maria mm-hmm. and uh, Magda, this verbal battle which is just so nicely uh played out i think is really really good mm-hmm. um i think as well you know we get to hear that her spiritual guide her spiritual animal is the coyote yes. uh which is interesting because you had said derek that there's a lot of references to coyotes mm-hmm. in, in this show um, and we want every episode for at least the first five. We had some mention of coyotes Def- or yeah. a coyote watching on or I'll feed you the coyotes, I think, is mentioned to Brian um, the first time he's threatened by Lewis. So it's something that's been in the background the whole time. Like, just kept going. Why coyotes? I know it's L.A. I know coyotes might be something scary if you live there, but it just felt odd that it was there. And then from the first moment of this episode where you see Marie on the bus... Yeah, and she's um, she's got her little totem mm-hmm. um, of a coyote, yeah, uh, and and um, she's referred to as the old coyote. She goes, the old coyote knows, and I, I like the fact that Santa Mursa uh, goes, um, do I need to tell her how to look after her cubs? Because mm-hmm. obviously she's looking for protection for her family. It, this is kind of interesting. So I I, I kind of looked it up um, on. Uh, on Wikipedia and or just on Google in general, um, and generally the, the very it's it's the very old coyote or the old man coyote, and but it is generally very a positive meaning in Aztec culture was, um, but it symbolizes astuteness, worldly wisdom, and pragmatism, uh, which is certainly things you could describe Mama Maria uh, for, mm-hmm. and I think um, the only thing is is that. It's normally male beauty and youthfulness, but it can be gender changing, right. uh, which I thought was interesting and mm. um, because it can also be about um, uh, youthfulness and passion and, and sexuality. Mm. Um, but it, that it's a balanced kind of symbol of, around good and evil around this idea of being um, youthful, um, that it, it, it can shape. So, that, so two interesting things. It can be a shape-shifting god, which, right. given what Magda does, I'm mm-hmm. like going, 
is this kind of the counterbalance or is this why maybe Maria, while she didn't see her or didn't seem to recognize Elsa, um, she said she could smell her, you know, she could feel her on her neck and, Magda, yeah. uh, of, of Magda. Because yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that Maria didn't notice Elsa being or looking like yeah. Rio. Um, given <laughs> the intensity yeah. of that meeting yeah. with Rio, absolutely. Um, like I was and, waiting for it, and then Magda. So I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I was kind of waiting for it as like, well. At the end of the last episode, we'd said, you know, she has met Rio, and then if we get into this episode, she's going to meet a second version of Magda, and then just to mess with us, it seems uh, the show has Magda appear in the opening scene of the episode, watching Maria go by on a bus. So <laughs> just to remind you, this is what I looked like when you get over to Doctor Kraft's house and you meet uh, you meet your one. Um, that's me as well, you know, but they do all look slightly different. And I think the way I kind of am puzzling it out in my head, because we're not getting any explanation on the show, is that we're seeing everybody as being played by Natalie Dormer, but nobody else is seeing Natalie Dormer. Is it her exact face that way? She is covering herself some way because it would be really stupid for a demon to be walking around in a city or an area as small as LA uh, or this LA or this area of the city that we're seeing over and over again. It'd be very stupid of a demon to not cover herself up uh, and realize you could bump into somebody that could recognize you and foil all your plots and plans. So my, my, my in-universe idea is that we're just seeing her look the way she does, but she doesn't actually look exactly that way to everybody else. So I took it slightly differently. I took it as one of Magda's powers, if you will, yeah. is that essentially no one will see, no one will connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Like, the uh, as I think it was the other councilman when she meets Alex is like, who are you? You've come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, uh, these are all figments or elements of Magda. Mm-hmm. So Maria could see Magda as she was in that opening scene, yeah, which is great, and we see her. I think she feels Magda everywhere because Magda is everywhere. She felt her with Rio there. She just doesn't know that Magda is Rio. Yeah, so she she can't connect those dots. Yeah. So in me, it's for me, it's like one of Magda's powers is that. Even if I walk out, I'm Magda, I'm talking to you as Alex, and then I walk into, uh, uh, I walk out the door and come back in split second later as Rio. No matter what, even if I look the same, you will see two people. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, think of, um, think of Scott Bakula in uh, Quantum Leap. He's embodying a different person every week. We as the audience see the face of Scott Bakula, but everybody else sees what he really looks like. Exactly, and I, in their minds, yeah, I, yeah absolutely, and there that's that's why for Maria, she said, "I can smell her, I can feel her on my neck." Yes. It, it's the sensation of being close to evil, you know. When people say we walked into this place and you could sense that it was evil, yeah. you know, when coppers talk about gruesome crime scenes and so on, that evil exactly. had been there or whatever. Exactly. Um, and I think, um, yeah. So just, qu- I was just going to quickly say this shape shifting god. So I thought that was interesting. I wondered whether. We're going to see Maria shapeshift, actually. Um, if if she, maybe she is imbued with some old Aztec um, magic or or uh, power, given the 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 speech, effectively she she gives to to Magda uh, around 
um, being kings and queens with Aztec blood running uh-huh. uh, through us. Just to call out, just to, to a, a reminder as well, remember this, this a similar speech was given by Rio to uh, Mateo about who the Pachucos are. They are they are from royal blood of the Aztecs. So um, so there is something there potentially in, in all of Maria's family. There is a direct descendancy from the Aztecs. Potentially that's another yeah. one of the supernatural aspects that could be running in the show in the future. I normally end off... Uh, this moment by saying that was my point but that was kind of all of our points talking about one of the biggest moments in the episode my point was just purely about the manipulations of magda and how they're possibly opposites of uh of what's going on with santa morta um john do you want to take us on with another big point from the episode well it's quite a small point actually well, it's r.i.p friar tuck <laughs> um it's a, a very small point Aww. um yeah well it, and to be honest it's more about how frank um, is is freaking out Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is this idea of uh, the fear that Tommy has of, of Frank. And again, it, it, it's not something spoken. It, it's something that Tommy is, is getting. You know, it's instinct from Tommy exactly. around Frank that this is not how a kid of his age behaves, like probably none of his friends do. So it, it is the idea that he's a little strange and a little weird, um, but that then with the things that have happened to him, it always seems to be there with Tom, whether it was seeing the, you know, the, the, the girl who had been murdered um in in, uh, in physical form in, in in his room on during the sleepover mm-hmm. uh, for Trevor's birthday or now we have this this whole kind of moment where you know he he's got he's got someone who he was probably glad to see go out the door after the sleepover mm-hmm. suddenly being invited into his own home by his dad um yeah. and he's just like this is not no wonder he's he causes a fuss um at the dinner table you know where is my my mum kind of thing yeah um and it, it's even just you know th- this this tension you can hear it in the music even as elsa starts to effectively uh, get uh, maria to make sure that trevor goes into her room she goes into the garage mm-hmm. um and uh, Frank moves in with Tommy because she she worries about Frank, so she she you know moves Frank into to, to Tom's bedroom. More chess pieces and, on the board. It, it is. It's just, but the music's very sinister, and you just know that as soon as the 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 the, the show goes back to that bedroom at mm-hmm. night time, that. I would sleep like Tom does if I knew I had some kind of crazy melty boy that just melts into his mom. Mm-hmm. Not that he knows that, but I would be kind of bolt straight with my arms over the covers to stop anything from getting between them and kind of stirring sort of straight up at the ceiling. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's like, it's just what happens. It's just how... Frank kind of inserts himself to 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 coming over and and sharing the bed with 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 Tommy and then you know that you know that Friar tucks in for a, a, a bad ride really on his spinning wheel uh, just because you you've had that earlier scene where Actually, Tommy seems to be trying to get to know Frank mm-hmm. and explain about Robin Hood and brings his hamsters called Friar Tuck. And then it's just, then 
Franks kind of just goes all weird on him to say, what's an unusual creature? As though he, he's never seen a hamster before. Or he's never or, heard of one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and well, He's only been created about a week um, as well. So it, 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 it's, you know, and it, it's kind of, Tommy's just got the, the little hamster in it, it in his in his kind of fist, just stroking the top of his head with his thumb. And I thought that was really cute. It and then was. effectively to see the end result of all this with the dead hamster in the spinning wheel, I was like kind of, ah, oh, Friar took. And I was like, Frank, you I know. bastard. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. why have you done this? And it would it's it's the psychology the Frank seems to be doing this this fear, as you say, whether it's to help um keep him quiet so that he doesn't cause problems for his his dad. But I, I'm like going, surely Tommy is gonna go to his dad and go, uh, you know, this is this is really freaking me out. How many but horror he might movies not have, do. How many horror movies have you seen, especially one set in the early nineteen hundreds where kids go and try to tell their parents about the thing that scared them in their room and the parents go shut up get back in the room you know you're just i think that's i think that's just parents in general yeah you're just unnerved by somebody else living in your room that you've never never slept in the same room with. because they don't want to deal with the babadook in in the closet (laughs) it's not because you told frank that's the only thing that that keeps you feeling safe in your room is hearing the guinea pig go round and round in his wheel all night and then he died immediately after Frank turned around and stared directly at him. It's nothing to do with that. Can't possibly be. There's no such thing as the supernatural. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah. Is this the first kill by Magda? This is her first kill that we've seen. <laughs> what a success she is. It's like, yeah, yeah. If you think about it, it is. every other death has been not by her hand. Mm. She influences... Death and destruction. Well, she kind of influenced a heart attack on the guinea pig, didn't she? Oh, so you <laughs> yeah, think exactly. So you think so it's a heart attack? I think she used the whisper to make the hamster run until it had a heart attack. Uh, I don't even think it was that. I think it was a. It was that Frank doesn't even leave the bed. Like he's lying in the bed. He yeah. turns over, looks over at the hamster wheel. The hamster wheel stops moving. He turns back over with those creepy, starey eyes at Tommy, and then Tommy realizes. Uh oh, my guinea pig is no longer moving. Looks over, and okay. the guinea pig isn't moving. It's not like they wake up in the morning and the guinea pig's dead. Okay, I um, I've had a massive sort of uh, like moment that I didn't realize because they come back to it because it doesn't continue there. It doesn't. Mm. They go. There's another scene in between, and then they come back to Tommy and Frank, and it's just that Tommy's lying in bed, and it looks like he's lying in bed alone, like Frank's gotten back into his bed, okay. and. Um, you just see poor Friar Tuck on on his back in the wheel, yeah. and so yeah, it, it could be a heart attack. But I just kind of thought that Frank had gone back to his bed, no, no, and in the so. process, kind of done Snapped. a quick uh, little twist of, of the poor hamster's neck, and then gotten into bed because I thought he was then turning away from the hamster, which would mean he'd be looking at Tommy, but yeah. he wasn't. I. I can't. Okay, Grant. Oh uh, no, he he was in the same bed. He was. So he's he, he's turning back to look at, at Tommy. Tom. Yeah, with those um, scary eyes as the yeah. wheel is no longer moving. Yeah. Might so have have I, okay. I took it. Yeah. Anyway, it's still freaky. Yeah. This is her, she can communicate with animals, and she told the hamster to run until it had a heart attack. <laughs> well, and um, because she didn't kill it, like like she didn't just like because then why didn't she can't kill Councilman Beck? Because She's, I. 
because she's a councilwoman, not a hamster. But she, if she can make it look like a heart attack. Before we get loads of messages in, it's a guinea pig as well. Uh, so, oh, guinea pig. So, no, it's so, a hamster. It's a guinea pig or a hamster. Obviously, all of us have taken different notes because I know both of you have called it either a, a hamster or a guinea pig, and I'm calling it a guinea pig. No, it's a notes. hamster. So, okay, so maybe a hamster. So really sorry if we got that wrong to hamster yes. fans or guinea, guinea pig. Tommy fans. says, this is my hamster. I'm sure he's right. a guinea pig. But anyway, that's fine. I'm sorry. Okay, so whatever... Ident- whatever, whatever rodent it is, is it doesn't yes. deserve this death. Very no, it did not. But Very I, true. first of all, it's it's the first body count that we see t- directly at the mind or hands of uh, Magda. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't touch it. Didn't touch it. Didn't touch it. Said mind or hands, <laughs> mostly mind. Yeah. Um, but this, for me, is the, the the weird part because it is she usually whispers, so she didn't go like. She's getting so angry at like Councilwoman Beck at that point mm-hmm. that she now is going to get, and we'll, we'll discuss it later. She's going to get the Nazis after Councilwoman Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just like, hmm, maybe she can't influence. She can't just kill you dead. Yeah. So that's why I was like, maybe she has to do the whispers and the whispers are run until you, you, have a heart attack yeah. or it's shoot that gun or it's like she she cannot d- directly attack you yeah she can influence she has no so direct power the- she's like a, a a person under the age of 25 with an instagram account she's an influencer she tells people what to do <laughs> oh shots fired <laughs> just because i'm not under 25 anymore that's all <laughs> but you're still on instagram <laughs> i'm not an influencer in, i think instagram. as well she's got to play it more savvy because mm-hmm. Townsend has talked about getting rid of her before. Yeah. And she's just kind of like, well, no. And But um, at the same time, in her conversations with her goss, she, it was more about, um, well, if, depending on if the time is right and if, depending on how events move, maybe we have to. But for the, for the moment, we don't want the light shining on us. We don't want to try and encourage that. So I think... Um, you know, because immediately after that, she talks about Councilwoman Beck being a problem to Townsend. Townsend says, you're a cutthroat political an- analyst, mm-hmm. uh, but now we need someone to effectively, you know, cut throat. Cut throat. Yeah. Um, so like this, this is kind of coming back to the promise. But yeah, I mean, I kind of still feel, I mean, even with Maria and Magda, I kind of felt that. I was kind of in my mind saying, Maria, a little too close to Magda here. You don't know yeah. what she's going to do. I still feel that she could do something, but I, I suppose I'm, I'm coming around to your mm-hmm. your feeling, um, Derek and, and Chris, that yes, she's maybe a little... Her power isn't in physicality yeah. is purely in the yeah. manipulation but i still so, feel she looks pretty intimidating her power seems to be in finding the people uh that she that can be manipulated and manipulating them in the way that she needs to uh, having that ability to be able to manipulate them and as a change on she does have to be much more careful with councilwoman beck than frank has to with Friar Tuck, because you can't really flush Councilwoman <laughs> back down the toilet. Uh, well, you well, could. You could. <laughs> but <laughs> plenty of bodies have been found in the sewers. Yeah. But, it's quite uh, difficult to flush uh, a body. Uh, <laughs> well, bits of it, one yeah. at a time. <laughs> Might take too long. You could. Gosh, it sounds as though I know about how to do it, which is not the case, no. fellow uh, Treadfuls. So very much the way I see it is that Magda and Santa Muerte are 
uh, two sides of the same coin. Exactly. The yin and yang of a, a divine angel, god, demigod, whatever. Their powers are manipulation through whispers, mm-hmm. and that gets you to the end point. So, so you pray to Santa Muerte for, for money, prosperity, and what you get is Santa Muerte influences uh basically a lotto scratch card or a wi- or a bank manager or a windfall or you pray to Santa Muerte for a job and she influences you the the interviewee or interviewer the Magda is the same way if you prayed to Magda mm-hmm. which she tries to get Maria onto and go I want to become the new Führer then she will influence, or Council Townsend. Councilman Townsend goes, I want to be powerful. I want power. Yeah. So she, through manipulation, through whispers, because she cannot directly go out and kill someone mm-hmm. directly, she manipulates through all the different channels to her end goal in ultimate power is becoming the president of the United States of America at one point. Mm, and that's And that's where she's pushing Councilman Townsend, but I think... The interesting thing with Magda is that she has almost that anarchist goal behind all of these people that she's manipulating who may or may not be praying to Magda or may or may not know that that Magda's behind their success. Most of them will not know that Magda's behind their success, but they are getting what they want. But like the old uh, monkey's paw idea, they're getting their wish granted. But the negative side of it is that it's all building towards she's putting in those positions to get to her ultimate goal of creating fire and chaos in the world, uh, race against race, brother against brother, yeah. nation against nation. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to come... John doesn't know the monkey's paw idea. Sorry, monkey's really? paw, that's from um, many uh, uh, fantasy stories, effectively, the three wishes. You get three wishes granted, and you say, you know, I... Like Aladdin. Like Aladdin, but it's much more... There's always a negative impact for the wish that you want. Ah, yes. You get yeah, given yeah, the yeah. wish, but there's something... I've never heard it called negative. the monkey's paw yeah. before. Well, it's you. In in all in original films, it started. One of them was uh, the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. I believe Twilight Zone it was literally a monkey's paw. Yeah. And the, every time they made the, it started as a kind of fist. Oh, and the fingers oh, no, come started. Off. Started as three three, three fingers. fingers and a thumb. And uh, as you made each wish, it went. Down. The, oh, the, I do remember that. Yeah. And yeah. then um, at the end, so each one had a negative reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Or like I want money, but you get money because your all your family die and you yeah. get inheritance. Well, I do remember that, and actually that would fit in neatly with Maria because let's face it, she has prayed to Santa Marta, and there is a moment where I feel it's like none of that seems to have helped. I mean, in a sense, why she's going back again to pray to find out why her family's falling apart. But I just felt so sorry for Maria Vega. She comes back from a full day working at the craft to prepare all the food for her family. No one helps her. Um, Half her children are not there, so the table's only set for three. And she um, can use the good ivory uh, cutlery exactly. for the special dinner yeah. that she's making. She, yeah. she's, she has a fight with Josefina, who yeah. also then doesn't eat and has, hasn't helped, oh, doesn't do the but washing. Those enchiladas up. look good. They look yeah, great. they look really nice. And Raúl is useless after the one thing that you know 
her prayer has affected um, is just, you know, she goes, you sit and sit and don't say anything. You know, it's good to know that Josefina has an older brother that can tell her. It's, it's like, you know, she's seeing her family fall apart. She's yeah. doing all this work for them. And everyone's a, and is a nightmare. And certainly after Mateo um, basically told her to run and jump in the last episode. Mm-hmm. I was like distraught for the poor woman oh, um, no. because I, th- I think uh, Adriana Barraza is just playing her so well. Yeah. I feel so sorry for her and I'm expecting her to become badass because she is just because is. of what she's having to put up with. Yeah. But like, but also she's talking to su- two supernatural beings who are almost threat- very threatening to her and she's taking none yeah, of Yeah, she really absolutely. steps up. Yeah, she totally. banishes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was cool. That actually. was awesome. But she does have a great line in Snark though, I have to say for uh, for Maria Adriana Barraza just delivers some lines so good. I love when she's say, in that room in that argument with Josefina and turns around to Raul going tell your sister I won't even listen to her nonsense anymore. Kick her out. And then Josephina runs away and then she goes to Raoul, you do nothing at all. You say nothing. <laughs> you sit here and do nothing at all. And then that's it. She walks out of the room. I love the kind of sass and confidence that she has, even though she's really angry at everything that's going on. She just has a way of uh, of really showing it to the kids, you know. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you've hit it, John. Absolutely. Uh, Zombie Bro still hasn't had any kind of storyline since he came back from the dead, as we're, as we're calling it, at least, uh, based on the prayer to Santa Muerta. But the cost of it is Maria's family is falling apart and all of these bad things, from her point of view at least, all of these bad things are happening to her family. Yeah. And, and yeah. And both families, actually. And yeah, her contention that, you know, her family is at the center of this chess game, mm-hmm. of this battle, our plan between these two sisters that she knows nothing about, you know, is absolutely confirmed mm-hmm. here. Um, Seems like it. By, by the two sisters, yeah. really, in, in terms of that they don't, um, they, they don't refute it. But, so, this is, they don't refute it, but I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is Magda really after her family? If we if we look back, no, it's using. Says, I think. Yeah, I don't know whether it's she's after. Because I took it as she was saying, "Why is Magda after me and my family?" So because, and then if we, that's the way I took it. Because she, this is when she describes. I, I I know she's there. She's always at the back. I yeah. feel a breath yeah. on the back of my neck. She's after my family. She's destroying my family. Mm-hmm. And the only version of Magda directly going and targeting her family is real because when magda at the riots in episode one was not directly targeting the older brother Mm -hmm. it was not directly targeting tiago no but it's pulling them into the situation so mateo possibly more directly than than the others um and it's not just Magda. I think it's a bigger thing between so, Santa Muerta and Magda. And again, just to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier on, I don't think Maria even recognizes Magda is Rio. Magda is Elsa. No. She's had no reaction to that. So while you're right, Chris, what we've seen on TV on these episodes is Rio has manipulated one of her children. That version of Magda in Rio has manipulated one of her children. Yes. What she's feeling is Magda's all around my family yeah. is falling apart. Both families I'm involved in, the Kraft family that she's been involved in since the children were were yep. only just born, that family's falling apart as well. This must be the influence of the devil, as we'd yep. say in Christian faith and Catholic faith. Um, 
she's saying Magda, the demon of their faith, uh, is the one that's manipulating her family and yeah. destroying them. Just she can't see it, she can't prove it, she can't, uh, she doesn't know for definite, but she can feel it in her bones. Yes. Yeah. And that's so why, that's... bringing it back to my point, Friar Took was an innocent, cute <laughs> little hamster. Yes. Slash guinea pig, Caught slash rat, slash mouse, slash gerbil, <laughs> slash prairie dog. Caught in the crossfire. Yes. Just to cover yeah. all road, a squirrel and slash squirrel. Okay. Uh, squirrel, yeah. No, squirrel. no, and but that's the thing I find just so funny because <laughs> that it's it's the presumption that that we know it to be true. We know it to be true. It's just that blind faith. The world is go- my family's going to hell. I believe I feel the the hand of the devil. Mm-hmm. It is the devil is targeting me. It's just like I take it as such a commentary, right? Yeah. Not just a commentary on people who blame kind of misfortune mm-hmm. on faith, uh, demigods, faith, religion, things like that. Yeah. Now we know it to be true, but like in real life. That, like people do that as well. I just I, I found it that, and I was just like, it's really the way he's the nuance of what he's doing. Yeah. But strangely enough, it's true. It, it is, but true in a different way, and that's kind of where we're having the where I think we're having the question popping up for all three of us. Really, is because it is true in a, in a different way. We're seeing Magda impersonating three different people, manipulating people. That's been affecting Vega family, Kraft family. What she's feeling is the devil. Is having a hand in destroying her family. She won't. She wouldn't be able to point to these three women in a lineup and go, "This one is the one that's ruining Tiago's life. This is the one yeah. that's ruining Josephina's life. This is the one that's that's ruining um, Matteo's life." She wouldn't be able to do that. She just knows the devil Magda is involved in the ruination of her family. Um, and you're right, Chris. It, I, I, there's definitely this episode particularly has some damning commentary on uh, on religions and uh, and. Blind faith more than anything else, I think. Uh, blind yes. faith particularly. Like religion, I'm sure, I don't believe there's any commentary on people who are religious, but having blind faith in things uh, seems to be where John Logan has had the issue with people in the past who are religious, uh, people who believe everything because faith says believe it all, uh, rather than having a question, opening mind and being religious, um, seems to yeah. be where his, his perspective comes from. Yeah. Yes. So, gentlemen, I think it's about time we move on I from all is. the supernatural <laughs> this is a great to, to uh, my point, yeah. <laughs> um, which is the Z-Germans. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm joking. Um, it's actually <laughs> uh, just because I wanted to say Z-Germans. I know. Every episode. It's, we will get to the Nazis. but I want We are to never talk- covering a show that specifically relates to something in germany like dark for example no, yeah no, no oh my god we anyway let's move no, off no, we, did, we did get a request from one of our uh, one of our fellow watchers that we actually covered hunters on uh, on amazon we actually covered the show we've talked about it a few times all watched yeah. it all enjoyed it and i'm never covering that show with you chris there's no chance <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i'm not even gonna lie i'm just like yeah no i, I don't think i could do it with a straight face um i make too much light of terrible situations <laughs> it's the irish in me mm-hmm. um so yeah i want to move it on to my main point which is my second cousin the degenerate mm-hmm. um this this well first of all you have two parts to this we have mitch first of all now we get the scene where tiago and Michener are in 
Michener's uh, Nazi hunting cave, aka his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do get this great part where Tiago's pushing back, going, "No, I'm not going to help you with hunting these Nazis." Yeah, and this is where Michener comes in and goes, "Do you think I helped you for this for?" just being friends i love that you pay this is my favor i'm calling in my favor i just wasn't expecting it to be as blatantly put by michener on that i was just like i was expecting that later on i was expecting that in the car Mm -hmm. scene but straight up michener's like no 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 i i've covered your ass i've saved your family you're saving mine yeah my then he goes into the speaking about the the his uh, friends who have died mm-hmm. and we're reintroduced to dotty which gives us a classic classic where you see tiago <laughs> kind of go her really like and she goes i was running guns in the spanish-american war yeah uh before like before you were in diapers Don't you and he goes that fair enough yeah that that was awesome yeah I yeah. I I want someone in my life like Dottie. She's awesome, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, I, love, I do love the scene as as Lewis gets his uh, Lewis Batman gets his Robin and Tiago <laughs> very much. This is a it's interesting because we did talk about last week, you know, this idea of the misuse of power with the police, uh, with these two going into the situation and making their decision as to what way they were going to proceed with putting Diego behind bars and they were going to pin these crimes on him. And, you know, sometimes that story's just left there. You know, they've they've done their job. They've uh, they've put this guy behind bars and that closes it off. What we see here is the episode opens with Tiago going, I've sinned, effectively. He, he yeah. knows he wasn't manipulated into doing what he did. He knows he didn't make a bad choice or a mistake. He's gone along with something that is a sin. And Lewis here going, I also know it's wrong. And I didn't just do it. For your benefit, I did it for my benefit as well. I did it because it was the best option and the only way out for both of us in this situation and your brother. And I did it so I could get a favor from it, which is you're now going to help me take down the Nazis. You know, yeah. so it's quite interesting that that's the way they played the storyline out from last week. This isn't something that is just they made this decision as police officers to put this guy behind bars and that's it. They can move on and make other bad decisions in the future. This is something that will prevail on both of these characters for the rest of the season i I thought it was really good that lewis reveals his own kind of private nazi investigation to tiago but i I loved it even more that it was around the events of last week that Mm -hmm. you know he says i'm collecting on on your debt basically to me and it even makes the scene at the end of last week's episode with um like uh, Nathan Lane does this really good thing where you kind of certainly for the character of, of Michener, where it, he's he really kind of shows that he's processing everything that's going on Absolutely. with with everything that's being said. And it's in this moment then that you kind of think he was like going, I can now use, you know, I've lost Anton. I've lost my, my two uh, wingmen. I've only got Dottie left. I can pull him into this and use mm. this as leverage to to effectively force him into it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's kind of interesting. You know, it's probably why he got to where he he has got as a detective mm-hmm. in, in the LAPD. So, it, yeah, I, I really like this. Yeah. So that was perfect. Thank you, John, because the way you said it, at that point, he forces Tiago into joining him. Mm-hmm. Then we move to the car scene. 
And this is the scene where we get where Mitchner is explaining his his second cousin from the Rhineland, which mm-hmm. was invaded by Germany. He was a a Jew and a homosexual. He was the trifecta. Yeah. He was a degenerate, as they called him. Yeah. Um, and we get the story of how when he was a child, his second cousins came over from the Rhineland. And um, basically, they swam in the sea, and it was all nice. And he brought over Belgian chocolate, which mm-hmm. is some great chocolate. Um, is. And we, we, it is, we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get the story of how he, unfortunately, was killed via meat hook, yeah. and they yeah. took photos and film and sent it back to the Führer to laugh at. But this changes it because, mm-hmm. and the reason he brings the story is because he he basically says no. Tiago, we're not here to arrest these boys. We're here to kill the Gestapo and Herr Goss. Mm-hmm. Like, the, these men will die for what they've done. Yeah. And you can see Tiago bristle. I'm not going to commit another sin. Like, this is not my retribution. This is, like, this is, you're making, we're, I, w- I won't be better by doing worse. But through this story, basically, it's no longer forcing Tiago because Tiago then willingly believes in the justice of what they're about to do. Yeah. He like takes out the gun and he's like, yeah, they, I'm in. it's yeah. a redemption part to a degree. Yeah. Not, killing someone's not redemptive, but it's softening it because he's doing the right thing. They're stopping this greater evil in the Nazi party coming to America. Well, it's proper revenge. And I think, I think uh, Lewis has given Tiago the justification he needs to, join in the revenge i suppose yeah um and one of the things i really liked about the story chris and you're right it is uh, another great moment from nathan lane in, in this show one of the great things i liked about the kind of framing of that within the overall narrative and within the placement of the of the uh of this particular episode and things that were going on around it um lewis mentions that his cousin died on a meat hook and that it was filmed and sent to hitler now these days, you say something is filmed, you know, and and sent around online, and it takes two seconds. Everybody takes out their camera phone and it's sent around online. I like the way that it's it's set within the thirties that all of these people are film fans. They're all living in LA. They understand something like the massive production budget that goes into a camera filming something. It's not like people had cameras in their house like they would have in the sixties yep. or seventies. So yep. this idea that they actually went out of their way to ship a camera to Berlin to watch this as they called a degenerate die, film it and send it to Hitler for a laugh. That's a massive thing. And I think they surrounded it so well in production that you do get the feeling why Tiago would go, these people are monsters. Like it's a monstrous yeah. thing that these people did. It's much more than and- much more than filming someone getting beaten up and putting it on YouTube. This is they've made a production out of this to show off to Hitler how much they're willing to do on his behalf around around Berlin and it sent a message all the way across the world to Lewis who's going these people can't be allowed anywhere near our country yeah and I mean but and the Nazis were at the you know Goebbels was at the forefront of using at in in you know in those days the modern technology to Mm -hmm. um to just enhance the Nazi party propaganda. Absolutely. So whether it was movies, you think of the Nuremberg rallies mm-hmm. and the staging and radio as well and yeah. grand projets to, to cement the power. I mean, whole range of different ways, but one of them was the new, new media for that time, um, as well, which is, 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 
is fascinating within the current context, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the other interesting thing is that, you know, um, Jews were targeted before the con- you know before the extermination camps but so were you know things like uh, homosexuals mm-hmm. uh, disabled people um and, and romanovs and and, and gypsies yeah. they were yep. even in in a sense dare i say it softer easier targets to begin with in, in yep. terms of um uh, various persecutions that the Germans did, as well as with the Jews. And I, I love the fact that with Michener's story, a fact, you know, in terms of the degenerate, th- there's, there's two parts of his cousin because he's Jewish yeah. and his ancestry and because he's a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it, it is the the biggest affront to this nazi regime um and yet at the end of the day um it's something completely innocuous yeah and didn't lewis even say he couldn't live based on their rules yep. and how they run the society my yeah. cousin couldn't live because he he not only is a jew he's also queer like it's yeah it's two different elements that they couldn't possibly let this guy live on the rest of his life like it's it's yeah. absolutely horrible uh, and even thinking about it and i, I yeah. think as well that there's little you know from a historical point of view something in, in mitchin's story where he says and uh, where he talks about this remilitarization of the rhineland um that he says but you probably didn't even hear about you didn't even catch it or it, it didn't even register mm-hmm. with you and i think that's one of the really interesting things as well you know there was a lot of shouting at this that there was more to the Nazis than uh, met the eye in that sense. And that's just a little nod to that in Mitchell's story. And Mm -hmm. I think it it covers, it's so well detailed about what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's a great, it's a great story in that it brings Tiago from being a reluctant participant in this to one where, you know, he goes. He, he gets his gun out effectively yep. to becomes a willing participant exactly. as a licensed and registered detective uh, yep. to go and effectively um, collect further debts um, yeah. uh, of of Anton and the other guy. Uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, Hercules. No. no, no, the two Jewish friends of oh. of, of Mitchell collect their debts, you know, repay the debt of their debts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was, yeah, it's a great little story. Yeah, and this, as you, jumping back a few minutes, you, we talked about how they, that they did use technology, uh, and in this case, radio. We're starting to see our threads are coming together. Mm-hmm. Our, ch- our chessboard is starting to make sense, because... Outside of Councilman Townsend joining Herr Goss and Kurt, the Gestapo, who were just having a nice, a long discussion about how he was a cold-blooded killer icicle, and if he's uh, no longer, if he's becoming a soft icicle, he has no use for him. <laughs> Are you a hard or soft icicle for, for Councilman Townsend, Kurt? <laughs> yes. Uh, but then we see the Councilman join, and Alex join, and I was like, cool. That's I expected. I saw the other chair and I went, okay, yeah. maybe production just did it like that. But then finally, <laughs> we we now start to understand because Miss Adelaide, Molly's mother, joins, mm-hmm. and that is the point where I'm now starting to see, oh wow, hold on, like they they are going to use Molly, and I think this is something that Derek, you back in 
episode one. <laughs> or no, no. When Probably episode back two. in the yeah. episode three, mm-hmm. when Molly is introduced, we you talked about how this was the newest thing. This was the their internet. This was their TV. Mm-hmm. This this was their shows, uh, and it was beyond just an evangelical kind of um, big session. It was it, this was something huge. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now that the the chessboard is starting to make yeah. sense in my head, I couldn't figure. We couldn't figure out how. Mo- well, I couldn't figure out originally how Molly was directly tied to the larger story. Yeah, and now we can start to see. Okay, well, she's tied to this because she's essentially her mother is using the the church, or potentially will use the church as part of the Nazis' nefarious scheme mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely she, or she, has been the whole time yeah. and molly has been manipulated the whole time which means we could have killer kurt right here kurt could be the one responsible for the hazlitt's murders oh 100%. it seems very likely he'd be the type of person to not just murder this family that are that needed to be gotten out of the way for uh, miss adelaide and, and molly's practice and the church it's very likely he would go do you know it would be a really good way to get them out of the way, if we blame it on somebody else, kill them in a in a style that leads the police towards the Mexicans, um, that is very likely something that Kurt and the Nazis would do. Um, so I, I'm kind of thinking this is not the first meeting of Miss Adelaide nope. and the Nazis. I think she's been there yeah. many times before. There didn't seem to be a huge amount of surprise from Councilman nope. Townsend as such. There didn't seem to be. A, I don't know whether there was even an introduction between them, other than he pulls the chair out as she sits down. Um, so I'm not. I'm, I, we need to see what's happening in that room. Yeah. But I think. This is this is something that's been going on for a long time, and I think we've just found our killer just just purely from that connection. That well, well, they're talking about episode. the war to come following uh, Miss Malone and Councilwoman Beck's meeting, mm-hmm. um, and you know it, it almost feels to me we we had previously at uh, Trevor's birthday party at the Crafts were um, Peter's colleague in the German-American Bund says, we need to use radio. So there's been that kind of potential way in. But here as well, you're just wondering whether Miss Adelaide is um, what... Yeah, so Alex says that um, you can take all the right-thinking people and we'll take all the angry people that are are remaining and and ride that that wave of anger and fear. Um, And obviously this, to me, is this is the meeting of of that council to to ride that that wave. Mm -hmm. And some of it may be towards um, the, the death of councilwoman beck and and maybe it's something that yeah it's it's kurt or they're gonna try and get um randolph miss adelaide's sidekick to to do that maybe um or it's just she will be the propaganda because she's not owned by the the catholics or or the jewish uh owners of, of the big media stations and radio stations that they they will be the mouthpiece to effectively preach and evangelize um effectively hate from uh from the gospel uh so yeah it, it's really um it's really interesting yeah, to get, i think to get cancer towns in this president yeah yeah um and it is it starts to kind of open up what may actually uh happen for sure so i i, I am curious does the, i i wonder if looking back at this now in a new lens when miss adelaide is molly's mother is sitting with molly talking about 
how she knows Molly is in a relation with Tiago mm-hmm. and is sleeping with Tiago and in love with Tiago. This is why she gets extra angry. This is why she's against it. Yeah. Not because it's uh, she's going away from her flock and all that. Mm-hmm. It's because he's uh, Spanish-American. He's Latino. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Like, I'm, there I'm, could be a Nazi element to this. Maybe. I, I think it was more what wasn't said by her anyway in that discussion was that she loses the power that she's been gathering. Um, she tries to get Molly to not go into the relationship because um, Molly would lose all the great things that she created. And Molly kind of says to her, and you also don't get the money from the church. Yeah. Uh, she goes, we don't get the money from the church. But the other thing that she's probably getting out of this relationship with the Nazis is a lot of power, uh, which seems to be something that's True. attracting Miss Adelaide. So I'm not sure whether it's anything specific down to racism. I think it's a bigger story um, for Miss Adelaide. I think it's a bigger thing. If Molly loses the power that she's gained, then she no longer has the era of the Nazis and has the era of what she probably believes is going to be a very powerful group. Yeah. It could be. Um, but I'm interested to see where this goes, because mm-hmm. straight away we get Michener and Tiago. Yeah. Guns are put away. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay, this suddenly just got a hell of a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and as you said, and I'm taking it back, Derek, like this is set up our chessboard now. We, we pretty much know everything bar the crafts of how, who's our rooks, our pawns, who's our bishops and our queens mm-hmm. and our kings. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next less than three hours, um, next three weeks, how, how they do this. And I have one comment, um, by taking it all the way back to the, to the early parts of our episode where we say maybe they're setting up the crafts for season two. Don't do that. Mm. Please don't do that, writers. Don't do that, John Logan, because you're not guaranteed that you're going to get a season two. Oh, no, agreed. agreed. And, um, I, I think a more self containing that story, this story deeper is going to be interesting. I'm not saying if you get season two, go alt history. Mm-hmm. That's going to be great. Yeah, bring Hitler uh, to America and put him up and set him up and everything like that. That'd be interesting to see. Um, to just tell this self-contained story, and I think that's the core bit. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. There's no, there's no question that we have no idea whether there's going to be a second season. There's been no announcement of that at all. I suppose the reason why I have it in my head that that might be the way it's going is because the timeline that we're talking about seems very long. Uh, for yep. only three episodes unless there's a time jump uh, which could absolutely happen in the last episode that could be a time jump that sets up season two perhaps something like that but particularly the reason and i don't i don't want to overly spoil uh penny dreadful if you haven't seen it but penny dreadful season one the big bad of that show is not satan and is not dracula dracula those are the two big bads for the next two seasons but those two characters are set up during the running time of season one they're mentioned as being people that are on the opposite side of our main cast, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but they don't come out. They don't become the big bads within the first season of that show. So that's what I was wondering with Dr. Kraft being played by Rory Kinnear. We're all interested in Rory Kinnear as an actor because we love him in other shows, but his his part hasn't played a huge amount in this True. season. So I'm wondering, have they cast him in that role to keep you interested in something that may not play out this season? I hope it does play out more. And I think this episode is the one that gave us more about Dr. Kraft than any other episode so far, but it's still not tying into the main storyline just yet. So maybe it's something that might just tie it at the end of the season for us to yeah. go, oh, okay. can't wait for the show to come back next season so we can see now he's 
Nazi crafts. Um, now we see how his hair really plays out. Plays out you know, it's not like real, Minecraft, but like for Minecraft Nazis. for Nazis. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking that craft should be spelt with a K, not with a yeah. C. I'm constantly yeah. got that in my mind, yeah. um, for sure. That's a type of cheese or, or butter in, in Germany, isn't it? In Switzerland. Craft, butter, craft, cheese, isn't it? Beginning yes, with the case, yeah. and on top of that as well, it's craft services. Yes. Um, and <laughs> craft, craft Philadelphia, something. Yeah, like exactly. Um, but gentlemen, oh. no, I was just going to say one other quick thing from this whole thing around Mitchnud. But just coming back to Dotty, um, I loved the moment um, that Dotty um, sort of reflects or echoes back to Brian. Uh, in in the in the cafe in the diner, uh, what effectively her goss has has just told him that um, you know he 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 talks about we are builders not destroyers um, as goss is outlining where uh, Brian's lab future lab may be in this new eagle's nest, um, and I really like the fact that um, uh, Dotty here also uh, in in trying to explain that. It's not just politics because Brian kind of waves off, say the, the stuff that's going on in the media uh, and, and in the press, that's all just politics. And I don't pay that any hoot. Yeah. Uh, and she just yeah. she gives the story of of this Yiddish theater with her and her father, which is really good oh, yeah. uh, and talks about the destruction of of that. Um, I think I think it's earlier than the Nazis, but, you know, by anti-Jewish groups, as I say, you know, Europe was rife with pogroms. Um, yeah. Anyway, she's um, talking about New York as well. She and and when, she, when she lived in New York and had the yeah, the, and the, all the but that yeah. that came over as well. I suppose on that journey across the Atlantic, yeah. and and she just reflects back that you know some men create, some men destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Brian, who is kind of wobbling, um, and I, I do like in that moment that Brian, you know, comes across as being visibly scared. You know, please don't let them hurt me. Absolutely, um, and he does have that moment just before. He has that conversation where he says, well, some of their points are really valid and they, they respect my yeah. intelligence and they respect my science, unlike you. And you kind of think, is he on their side? Does he believe yeah. what they're saying? But it's so quick afterwards where he goes, please don't let them kill me. <laughs> so you realize he's just terrified. And I, terrified I, th- I think, you know, just the reference to him going to get a Yoohoo. I know when myself and John watched it, John was going, what's this all about? Yoohoo would be kind of considered like a chocolate milk drink, basically. So it's an indication of how you like Yassi. Like Yazoo, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's an indication of how young Brian is. He's the kind of person that won't go and get himself a coffee, won't go and get himself a strong drink. He'll go and get himself a Yoohoo. So uh, that's why the reaction that you get from Lewis. It's like, oh, my God, this kid is involved with the Nazis. He's be- got all this pressure on him. He's in college. And look how young this kid is. Yeah. You know, it's just that little moment. I, I think as well, it's the smarts of, of Michener to say, you know, Dottie's going to look after you effectively mm-hmm. and put you into hiding. Um, she does have uh, that nice joke about nothing's happened around the, the tar pits for a million years yeah. Uh, yeah. when <laughs> when the last woolly mammoth sort of went into it or whatever, or saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, again, this instance in the car where he puts away his gun in seeing this this these collection of people from her goss and kurt to to molly's mother and and councilman townsend that you know michener's got smarts he's really good um and i mm-hmm. love how this character is absolutely absolutely um 
Chris, that it for your your final. That's punch? it. That's it. Really is. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I just can't wait to see where we we go from here. Yeah, and. That's literally seven days away. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, only other thing that we haven't really talked about in the episode is just the the moment between Mateo and uh, and Josefina. Um, I just thought it was interesting. It might have been a little bit heavy handed for me. Yes, hundred um, percent. Yeah. But I did think it was oh interesting, you know, having that moment because it's exactly the thing that Mateo didn't want to hear. And I suppose if you've got to squeeze in there that she's now part of this religious cult, effectively, um, it's a good way to get the to get it started where she kind of goes i'm not the only one here for you there's also god in heaven here for you um it feels like something she would say as she's just found her faith um it, w- it feels like she may pass that on to mateo it just saved her remember in in that one session she had with sister molly she feels saved and feels like god is there for her so it does feel natural for her to bring that up quickly it did feel heavy-handed in the episode but it does lead to i thought a really interesting conversation. Um, this idea of the incorporation of uh, of Santa Muerta into Catholicism has always been a question, um, always been questioned by religious people, this idea of people bringing parts of their religions and incorporating them into Christianity and Catholicism so that they can call themselves Catholic or Christians while still having pagan beliefs. We have it in Ireland quite a lot with uh, some of the elements of pagan beliefs that were in Ireland being brought and incorporated into the Catholic and Christian faiths over here. So I thought it was interesting seeing Maria give out to Josefina for going to Sister Molly's church saying that's not even, you can't call yourself a Catholic anymore. You should be going to our priest and Josefina echoing exactly the same sentiment back at Maria going, how can you go to the church get confession when you don't even pray for, pray to God when you need something you go out into the shed and pray to Santa Marta when you need something how can you call yourself a Catholic so I thought it was a really good argument about the religion that they both are supposedly share they've both lived under the same roof both used to go to the same church and now both of them have completely different things that aren't connected to that central religion so I, I just thought it was an, an interesting discussion this episode yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. The one thing I will say is, um, Mateo's overreaction, yeah, to uh, Josefina is just crazy. Yeah, I I think so too. I, I'm yeah. I'm a little. I mean, in the best sense, he is literally self isolating when he doesn't <laughs> need to. Um, it's kind of like um, he's overreacting. COVID joke. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, too soon. Um, I, but I, I suppose it's just this self-enforcement um, mm. and isolation from of of it from his family. Yeah. It, it seems I, I think it's, I think you're right. It feels a little extreme and over the top in yeah. having a conversation with his sister that he would then run off and decide that he can never speak to her ever again. In the same sense that he's obviously applied that logic to his mum yeah. when she came to see him. And Tiago, I can understand more in a sense, mm-hmm. um, because of, um, the, yeah, because he's a detective. Yeah. He's a grown up as well. He's gone through a lot more in his life than Mateo has. And, you know, there are elements again of the religion side to that story as well with Rio. Remember Rio pulled off the cross off his neck saying to him he can no longer believe in that. He has to now believe in the religion behind the pachucos that she has talked to him about. Um, you know, there is that I, I kind of get the reaction, you know, that it, that is the thing. 
um, I, I kind of I, I laughed slightly or smiled slightly at the reaction, the line that Matteo says, which is, I didn't come here for make believe. I don't want to hear about this God thing that you believe in. I wanted my sister. I kind of smirked at the way that he responded to her. But you're right. They're kind of running away and getting him out of there. But I think just to incorporate him in there, you probably needed a scene um, to make sure that everybody knows that Matteo is still hurting out there. He's still not. A, a trained killer yet he's not going out uh, in the war against the police he still is very sorry for what he did and didn't realize that he could murder someone the way that he did with riley yeah um so i think it's it's good that you have that little moment in there and if you can't use anybody else in the family because they're all going through their own things uh apart from uh Raul, who's just listening to baseball on the couch uh you might as well use the relationship between josephine and uh and uh, mateo yeah i'm trying to figure out what the next steps on this chessboard is. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I want to go too far and try and figure it all out myself, but, mm-hmm. it, uh, but at the same time, I'm like, actually just tell me the story. Yeah. But let's get on with it. I feel like there's a few things in this episode that kind of, you know, the coyote thing I thought was interesting after noticing something was going on in the first four or five episodes. We now have an explanation for why it's in there. So I feel like we might get a few other things like that towards the end of the season that will explain things we're seeing now. So that's probably why I don't want to predict what's going to happen. One thing I did really like, um, and that's just going on to notes, I suppose. One thing I did particularly like was the story that uh, that Maria tells to the two boys, Tom and, and his brother, about uh, Hansel and Gretel. Um, yeah. Remember them? They got the, they yeah. found their way home, and Tom instantly <laughs> responds with, yeah, but they killed the witch before they got their way home, uh, indicating that he may uh, possibly have a battle coming up with yes. uh, one of the Magdas. <laughs> they may have to kill. I, I took that as well. They yeah. may have to kill, um, yes, Elsa mm-hmm. uh, or Frank. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. And also um, interesting, she did choose, you know, Hansel and Gretel. I think you mentioned the burial of uh, of Elsa's um, husband was in a very German uh, folklore, a very German if, if, uh, yeah. story book kind of setting, like Hansel and Gretel. So interesting, they chose that to kind of explain the situation about his mother going away. So yeah, there you go. That was my note. Nothing from my side. Yeah, no, I've just got a few notes. Um, I, I mentioned about the coyote. Um, just I've, I didn't mention that the good evil on the good side of the shape shifting is around uh, merriment and music um, and passion. And on the dark side, it's more mischief and pranks, but that ones that can get brutal and bloody, mm. which is kind of interesting. Um, the hamsters. Well, exactly. The <laughs> Spanish-American War of 1898, because uh, I kind of like this, that Dottie is speaking of her past, which is actually in, is like the 1850s and 60s, mm-hmm. effectively, as a kid moving up, or because I, I she talked about, uh, providing bombs in chicago and i I, um i can't remember what the name of that was now but it was to do with one of the big labor disputes where the police were against the unions and it kind of helped inform labor relations in in chicago but it ended off with kind of molotov cocktails or you know bombs um it was fairly violent but uh this that spanish-american uh, Civil War uh, is from 1898 um, and began effectively with the Americans coming in and intervening uh, in the Cuban War of Independence mm-hmm. uh, between the Cubans and the Spanish. Um, and 
effectively, this led to the Spanish relinquishing sovereignty over Cuba, victory for the US. Uh, but they also ceded Puerto Rico in the same sense. So it was like this whole emergence of a US uh, predominance in the Caribbean region, that okay. kind of geopolitical thing, yeah. um, which obviously I think Puerto Rico is still, an, what, what do they call it, um, a unincorporated territory of the US. Okay. Um, so it's not officially one of the states. Well, somebody, uh, it's a bit like yeah. Jersey or Isle of Man for yeah. the UK. Um, kind somebody of thing. tried to claim that that was a reason for, to not help them out after a, a, a natural disaster. Yeah, well, I, the, there is that as well. And yeah. the Rhineland thing was in 1936, which was the remilitarization of the Rhineland. So after World War One, it had been removed of all military um, almost as a buffer because it uh, onto to France and then uh, Hitler basically walked all his troops back into it um it so it was occupied by the allies but mm. uh, there was no fighting but Hitler marched his his troops into the Rhineland uh, which was in kind of total contravention of uh, the Versailles Treaty and of course mm. it was the big industrial heartland of Germany to help build various bits and bobs of the the military machine. Mm. Some fascinating history stuff that's uh, yeah. that's incorporated into the show, definitely. Uh, I've only got one final note, and that note was, I've read my notes, and it says, Friar took the hamster, so I did have hamster uh, written down in my notes, and I thought I had guinea pig. Um, that's it. For well, guinea pigs are <laughs> guinea pigs are a delicacy in, is it Peru or Bolivia, uh, where they wrap them up in vine leaves uh mm hole yeah and crunchy we don't yeah like, you get the teeth you really got there it's not even the teeth it's the bones yeah, no, well, it's yeah. like crispy duck oh yeah well crispy ham i don't crispy. eat the bones of my crispy duck it's the skin that's crispy not the bones no but you can if like you can do it where the bones are just like almost brittle yeah yeah wow okay <laughs> moving swiftly on gentlemen i think it's about time we wrap up our discussion of ways that you can eat a duck or a hamster <laughs> uh this has been your dreadful podcast but gentlemen rather than going into culinary delights let us discuss our final thoughts on this episode uh i'll tee it up first john what did you think of this episode I um I really like this episode. Um I in fact it's it's really improved with our discussion. Um so I'm giving it I had it down as four, but I'm gonna do just for the macabreness of it all is four and a half spinning dead hamsters uh, out of five. So the, the, I suspect there'll be um you know, blood forensics required for the ceiling oh, from man. from this ah, one. Right. Um but uh yeah, I I I really like how um, Magda effectively cropped up in different locations with Maria and you have that final, um, sort of rousing sort of banishment from, from Maria, um, to, to Magda and, and kind of invoking the, the, the kings and queens where with the Aztec blood running through them in the same way that, um, Magda did with Mateo, mm -hmm. I thought was really good. Um, and then, I think, uh, just, yeah, having all these different little snippets, you know, Dottie is like, uh, she's a walking history book and she's fascinating and I really love her. Uh, and Maria is just a powerhouse. Awesome. Um, it's amazing. And just having the coyote element kind of just explained a bit further. As I say, I really hope that 
she's kind of a shapeshifter as well and turns <laughs> into sort of a badass coyote to, to sort of protect her pups. That's how you do uh, mispredi- misprediction for the rest of the series, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're going to fail in misprediction... Fail big. Fail big. And fail fast. Yeah. Misprediction, it's like miscongeniality. But, <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> I loved all of this. and I think, yeah, the whole Michener, uh, Tiago, um, Goss... Uh, and Brian and, and Michener and Dottie, um, everything then linking into um, Alex and Townsend, and obviously now with Adelaide coming to the table uh, of uh, the the Third Reich, um, it's just all really put into a really intriguing place, and I mm-hmm. I think um, I, th- I think that's really really fascinating, and then just the sheer terror of what would be disruptive enough for the likes of tom and trevor um in you know with his his dad bringing this this lady that he barely knows and and this kid that he doesn't particularly like into their home and his whole world being turned upside down from that but having his brother move then out of his bedroom and just the creepiness that frank brings i mean these two child actors are really great actually mm-hmm. i think they're fascinating i love the i love the stoicism of tom you know he, he does come across a bit as a an adult in in kids uh in, in a kid's body uh, but you know he, he does give it back to his dad he says i already have a mother and a brother it's, you know i don't want any more and certainly not the likes of elsa and frank yeah. um and i think uh hopefully they are both him and Trevor are both Hansel and Gretel and they're going to boil that witch alive uh, and invoke the spirit of Friar Tuck uh, as well Uh, the hamster that we have finally nailed down Mm -hmm. as a hamster well to to stop it spinning we finally nailed Friar Tuck down (laughs) exactly uh, so really, um, really like this. So yeah, four and a half uh, spinning dead hamsters out of five. Christoph, uh, what did you think of this episode? I, I'm getting more and more uh, pleasantly surprised by each episode. Uh, I do believe that the the setting up this chessboard is making more sense to me and it's where I was previously getting somewhat annoyed by the... I don't want to call it bloat, but it, it, it was narrative, <laughs> narrative dissidence in a way that I was like, okay, I don't know where you're going with this. Like, I'd like to, I like to at least, don't, don't need to signpost it, but you at least need to tell me kind of what the end direction will be aside from a prophecy about brother versus brother, nation versus nation, race versus race. Like, yeah, that, that, that could say a lot. That's basically World War II. Um, so is it just that she's building World War Two? Who knows? Um, I just the annoyance I have on the outside. I I can't wait for each episode. I'm dying to see where they go with the last three three episodes, three hours. It's just the crafts. Yeah, it's such an interesting story. I just don't get it. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping upon upon hopes that come. Episode nine, we turn around and basically all of us go, Oh my God, it was staring us right in the face. This was amazing. Well done, John. This was the best setup, the best story piece ever. I just hope that's where it goes to. It, otherwise, if it's set, it's a setup 
purely for season two. I'll, I'll, it will take the overall arching season and the, the creation of what he's done down a peg, in my opinion. Again, I'm not a paid critic, so what does my opinion count? <laughs> but we are here to people, listen to your opinion, Chris. We do have a podcast about the show, so you're allowed it's true, to give it's your true. opinion. So this is also about the, the man who has some pretty wild theories, so let's not go down that mm-hmm. route. My thoughts sometimes are crazy. But overall, I like this episode. I just want to... I wish I could fast-forward three hours to see where I am at the end, but I w- I'm looking forward to that journey and uh, more. Excellent. You so and your binge culture, Chris. Oh, go away. <laughs> I'm not that, I'm not that young. <laughs> say, say what? I'm not that young. Say what? So, moving on to the other grey hair man in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All three of us are slightly, we're distinguished. Yes. I'm silver foxes. Yeah. But to the silverest fox of them all. Derek, what did you think of this episode? Only because I still haven't, I haven't been able to go to the hairdressers, Chris. That's all it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I think overall this is this is a good episode. Uh, it's a good place setting episode for for the season. But I think if you if I look at the point that I chose for the episode to describe it, um, that's exactly where my head at is at about the show at the moment. If you looked at it without taking account of what's what the overarching storyline is, the story of a guy trying to get a, bo- a road build in L.A. The story of a wife, a, a guy who cheats on his wife and brings his lover in it to move into the house with his kids. You know, those those kind of storylines are pretty pedestrian. They've been around in every type of show from soap operas to, to science fiction movies, you know. Um, but viewing it through the idea of these manipulations will lead to a war, a battle, will lead to what this demon Magda wishes to happen with this city of L.A., with this... Uh, central point that's going on uh, with all of the characters. I think that's what elevates this show into something really interesting to watch every week. So I think this episode really accomplished its job in getting us set up for the final battle at the end of this season. And I think everything that's going on in the manipulations and seeing Maria trying to investigate in her own mind why is she so heavily involved really did make this episode exciting and interesting. And yes, that final scene with Maria versus uh, Santa Muerta, arrival of Magda, and then the disappearance of Santa Muerta after the after the two sisters battle uh, have their battle of wills, and then Magda versus Maria is just stunning. Great, great scene. Really loved it. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I think we're all in, on the same page. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, I do believe it's time for a penny for your thoughts. Our feedback section where you, our listeners, write into us with your thoughts, your feedback, and everything in between, specifically on this episode. So don't forget, if you want to be involved going forward, you can send your thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com or join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries and just make sure you put your comments into our spoiler post for that episode. Over on Facebook, we did get one piece of feedback on this episode so far, which was from Claire Laffa, who said, loved it and love Maria. I want my very own outfit that Rio wears. And my final thoughts on the episode, Nathan Lane is still amazing. I love how the character has shown such darkness and such vulnerability. There are a lot of actors and actresses that I admire, but there's only a few that I really love to meet, and he's one of them. 
Thank you, Claire, for that feedback. And yeah, I, I'm right there with you on yeah. Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. Every every show I'm seeing him in, and um, even just watching his press coverage for this show uh-huh. on the likes of like Seth Meyers and Steve Colbert, so I'm like, I love you even more. <laughs> it will force me to go back and watch Birdcage, Excellent. but I've I've avoided that one just because of the Robin Williams, because I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready. Oh, to. you'd love it. I know, I, I know, I will. It's just one of those. I have to go back, but I kind of have. And Gene Hackman is amazing. Up. I forgot. Is Gene Hackman in it? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Oh That's my fair. god. Yeah. 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 I, I know what you mean, Chris. They're watching someone as as talented as Robin Williams after he's passed. Watching him in one of, in one of those kind of roles is always difficult, isn't it? Um, yeah. But it's well worth celebrating. You know, it, it's he's such a good talent, and he's and he's very good in a very different role for Robin Williams. Uh, yeah. Really good. Uh, and great to see Nathan Lane in that as well. Yeah. But definitely, I'm with Claire as well. I think as every episode of this show goes on, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would love to 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 meet and hear Nathan Lane's thoughts. I think he has done an amazing job of providing sort of that breadth um, and depth to this character. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is for... for um, Adriana Barraza as well. Um, I've absolutely loved, um, their just how they have brought so much to, um, their character and with not that much screen time as well. I think Nathan Lane has now gotten quite a lot of it, Mm. but I think at the start, you know, focusing on Tiago and I I think Maria has, has been on the periphery a Mm -hmm. bit. So that's the thing. This, this coming, back and forth in different episodes depending on how much you have there i yeah. i think um like they're the two i'm i'm rooting for yeah. um in, in this for sure i i think they're they're amazing yeah definitely thanks so much for that claire uh, i'll agree with claire she wants every outfit owned by rio she wants to own all of those claire does uh, i want to own the outfits by every guy in this show i don't know why we don't dress as well as these guys do <laughs> i love the style in this show it's absolutely amazing Hundred percent. I want to just wear Magda's leather. <laughs> yeah. That's something completely go. different. Just not in the yeah, LA yeah. heat. Yeah. I no. can't oh. imagine. I would be. I feel very sorry for. Him, I yeah. would be sort of have to be yanked out of that mm-hmm. if I was put in it. Maybe, maybe when it gets later on in the summer, Chris, we can get you uh, get you one of those dresses, send it over to you, get you take a photograph of uh, of yeah. you in Magda's dress. Yep, I, I I do it. Twenty eight degrees <laughs> temperature. <laughs> yeah, just put um, me put me in a locked room. I'll sweat it out. Lose a few pounds. To be there patient. you go. There you go. As the podcast room is getting up to about two hundred and fifty degrees, uh, let's move on to our next piece of feedback. Uh, thanks for that again, Claire. Um, voicemail from Steve Brand. Hello, Derek, John, and Chris. Uh, this is Steve. This is for the latest episode of Pity Dreadful. I think it actually is episode seven this time. Uh, we are barreling man fast towards the the end, and I'm. Uh, uh, I'm anxious to see what happens next, but at the same time, I don't want it to end. I love new content. I love all the stuff that we're getting and so much happened in this episode. I'm going to watch it again tomorrow morning, but I, I wanted to send this out just in case I don't get a chance to send something, uh, my initial kind of, of thoughts. So I, uh, I really loved that we, we finally do get a little bit of the supernatural aspect at the end there when we see, um, the grandmother kind of dispelling, uh, Magda uh, sending her away and we see Santa Muerta walking away from her. I'm not really sure exactly what happened there. I'm going to have to rewatch the episode to really get a clear idea. Um, I love 
the fact that that Michener and it, it seemed to me like Michener had Tiago convinced to just straight up murder those Germans. And and then, of course, they they pulled back when they saw Townsend and Alex show up at the at the restaurant. But uh, Tiago was all in ready to, to follow him into battle. And uh, after hearing about how his friends were killed and all that. And uh, I wonder if we are going to see Kurtz uh, start slitting some throats, because as Townsend said, he, he told Alex that she's cutthroat, but maybe we need someone that can actually cut throats. Uh, so we might see Kurtz actually do some damage. Um, I, uh, I don't know, but a lot was set up in this, in this episode. We're seeing the, the religion that, um, Josefina is starting to embrace going against her grandmother's wishes, uh, her mother's wishes, I'm sorry. And, uh, and then also we're seeing, uh, Tiago's brother, both his brothers kind of being affected. So, okay. Uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, yeah, another another manipulation in this episode with Lewis. Uh, there's good good points. Like he does manipulate Tiago into going along with him and killing someone. When two episodes ago he was completely shocked by the idea that Matteo would murder someone as well. So um, even at the beginning of the series, I think he even spoke to Lewis about the fact that Lewis hadn't uh, shot his gun very often in service. Uh, and now a week or two into service, uh, he's being asked to shoot his gun. Yeah. Well, I, I think the the, the um, first of all, thanks, Steve, um, for for the the feedback. I think th- there's that really nice um, moment at the start, and it kind of, I think, it kind of links Steve to the idea of Josefina kind of rebelling and, and going to the temple rather than to um, the the Catholic Church and Father Nunes and, and even taking up Santa Muerta. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have here Molly rejecting her mother's advice by connecting back in with Tiago. Um, maybe there's some ulterior motives now that we've seen her mom having uh, dindins with the Third Reich. But I, you know, that's kind of interesting. But also, I think we're, we're set up here uh, with Tiago's mindset, uh, where he goes, you know, the, there's. Have you ever done something where there's no right answer? Everything you do will be wrong. You do something; it's not a compromise. It's not a mistake. It's a sin, mm-hmm. um, or it, it's just plain wrong. And it, it, it's it's that aspect of what he did to protect Mateo and what will ultimately happen with Diego. And that's his mindset. And effectively, Michener connects into that totally to um, manipulate him uh, into doing that. Um, But then thankfully pulls back um, as well. Uh, It'd be so, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting moment, but I think that scene at the start with Molly uh, really sets up uh, kind of the mindset of Tiago Mm -hmm. quite nicely. um, I think. Yep. Thank you so much for that feedback, Steve. Um, I can't say much more than the boys have said. Absolutely. One other thing I will say is that, uh, I know what you mean, Steve, about new content. Um, I feel like I'm getting like some proper TV addict now. When somebody tells me a new show is on and it, and it hits me, I watch the whole thing in a day and then I'm like, Oh no, I've got to wait five months for new content. Uh, we watched upload in one day 
uh, on on uh, <laughs> Amazon Prime. And then somebody said to us that the new season of Queer Eye was on, and we watched five episodes of that yesterday. And <laughs> like, I'm not holding on to the content like I should. It's like I've I, I should be hoarding it for to dole it out to myself over the next couple of months because we only got three new episodes of this show. And then that's it for a little while. I'm not sure what the next big thing is other than The Boys, I think, is coming. And yeah. Umbrella Academy is coming during the summer. Those are the only two things that I'm aware of up until, like, September. Well, that's so. true. Yeah. And we watched more than five because um, I was blubbing for at least sort of six or seven of the eight episodes that we watched of Queer Eye, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, um, It was like I'd just gone... Hours. No, well, pretty... I yeah. like I'd just gone to a funeral or something. Um <laughs> Look at the dresser. The colors match the drapes. The stories of the people that they're helping and the dresser. Uh, And why can't they come to Ireland and just decide to do that? But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was very emotional. (laughs) They need to come to Ireland and sort it sort me out. Basically, (laughs) someone could put me on queer eye for the straight guy. They don't even call it queer eye for the straight guy anymore, don't they? They call it queer eye. It's just queer eye now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was the original that was queer eye for the straight guy. Back in the nineties, yeah. 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 Um, I suppose we've kind of finished talking about Penny Dreadful. One of the things I always notice when we watch a new season of uh, of Queer Eye is there's five of them there. One guy gives them a little bit of uh, a little bit of a haircut. One guy talks about the, <laughs> does their clothes. Another guy <laughs> helps them with their confidence. Another guy helps them do their cooking. And then the last guy, Bobby, does their entire house and maybe their office and gives them a new car and sets does all up this their stuff, business. Sets up their yeah. business for them. And <laughs> he gets about two minutes of every episode, and everybody else gets like you know twenty or thirty minutes of the episodes. So like Bobby and his entire team have done a whole makeover show. Of, of the building in the house and he's ignored on the, on the episode he just gets a couple of minutes at the end of it this is number five seasons he must be like can i have my own makeover show please can i have a, i'll make oh, over I'd people's say houses it's coming <laughs> i like, say justice for bobby job. is coming yeah there you go there you go anyway that's that's right. Right. any other points about uh, penny dreadful before we go out? by the way thanks so much for the feedback claire and steve uh, any other points about the episode that we have before we go no i think i think that's it i think it's yeah. about time for a quick tipple before we head home yes it's the penny dreadful pub quiz and it's been a morning of heavy drinking just like tiago uh, <laughs> as we discuss uh, putting away an innocent person for the crimes of your own brother so yes a real strong morning drink is required down at your local uh, and this week's local is the uh Dreadful pub quiz bar, yes. <laughs> um, so, this week's question for all you intrepid pub quizzers mm-hmm. is, what plays does Dottie Minter recount from her performance days with her father at the Yiddish Theatre? What plays does Dottie Minter recount from her performance days with her father at the Yiddish Theatre? Mm. Uh, so, she names a few there both with names and and without as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, please, answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can send them in on a episodic basis uh, as we go through them or chuck them all in right at the end uh, and submit them in time for our recap episode where we go over all things Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that, John. Uh, really enjoying these questions each week. Uh, you can get all the questions by going over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. There's a tab there where you can just go and see all the questions that we've asked so far this season if you missed any of them. 
from our episodes. Thanks so much once again for joining us. Please stay subscribed to TV Podcast Industries. If you want to contribute and if you want to get access to our Captain America, the Winter Soldier podcast, go over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries. Or, of course, just share the podcast with any of your friends because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. <sighs> yes, thank you so much. Uh, obviously, we'd love to have you as a Patreon because, uh, unfortunately, we have just lost one hamster. Uh, we need to replace him to keep the lights on. Uh, as John said, we have an army of hamsters in wheels keeping electricity running here. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you can't, sure, as you heard at the top of this episode, we had a great review. Why not rate us uh, and leave us five stars on your podcast platform of choice? Because obviously that will always help us. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I look forward to speaking to you all again next episode. Yeah. Thanks so much for all the support, uh, fellow Dreadfuls. It's really great to get that. We'll be back next week with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, episode eight, Hide and Seek. Mm-hmm. Ooh, boo. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, will yeah. you help me be a good brother? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, creepy. Creepy. Chris, so can creepy. I get into bed with you? <laughs> well, that's a different question. <laughs> and on that note, all three of our, your podcast hosts are about to jump into a bed and stare and kill a gerbil, hamster, rodent, mouse. <laughs> Thing. Bye, everybody. See you next Bye. time. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Dreadfuls. Really great to have you on board for this episode. Keep watching, keep listening, and remember, keep spinning. <laughs> Wee! Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> God, we're losing it. <laughs> it's the heat. <laughs>think i think that's it i think it's yeah. about time for a quick tipple before we head home yes exactly it is the penny dreadful pub quiz it is early morning little <clears throat> yes morning <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> i what i'm tripping over my words today i no, instead of symbolism was- i went to derek i was like oh it's symboly <laughs> I looked up the symboly of, uh, of the coyote in the episode. I was like, what's a symboly? It's like- it's, it looks like a symbol, but it's symboly. Yes. Well, in two days, we have done over five hours of podcasting. So uh, that's. Uh, sorry, I sorry, totally sorry. understand why, why brain. No, we all have. Uh, it might be a little fuzzy today. So totally okay. John. <laughs>